<laughs> Why you lived in a fucking stone for starters? <laughs> Health, fitness, and success. Episode 6. 3 out of 10. Elbows 2 pointy. Health, fitness, and success. Episode 6. This is your podcast to winning everything. Uh, my name's Ben Tormey. I'm Marquise, and this is our first ever successful one first run through of the intro yeah i'm gonna try not to mess this one up big time that was good we did it we finally done made it <laughs> that's it man that's it <laughs> made we it. done made it everyone go make it we just don't made it that's it we can wrap this one up now. Yeah, that's, done. that's episode six <laughs> you nice guys uh okay so first first topic is uh our favorite celebrity trainer who I was blissfully unaware of the existence of <laughs> yeah. until you posted me this URL. Yeah, Tracy Anderson is uh, the well, she's a millionaire now, which um, you know shows that the universe is fundamentally unfair. Tracy, please, <laughs> Tracy, please, and uh, she's released. Um, well, if you're not aware of her already, she has the Tracy Anderson method, which is basically don't lift any heavy weights, um, don't uh, don't do running. Basically, don't do anything that's going to get you serious gains. Um, and uh, she's released a new method for men, which is obviously uh, you know going to be following similarly um, insane principles. And, and this depends on that method. Yeah, exactly. This is the optimal way to lose all of your gains um, and to achieve do not even lift status. <laughs> you two could be a virgin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so th- this interview she she conducted here um, with lifeandtimes.com. This um, this interview is just that's it. I mean, yeah, that's it, man. I mean, this is just the most insane drivel I've, I've ever read in my life. <laughs> and uh, my favorite quote from I mean, the best thing. And everyone, funny enough, people I've um, talked about this with also pick this specific section out it's a bit where she talks about yak butter right now this is a direct quote from this interview um so life and times asks tracy are you careful about what you eat tracy replies no i'm smart about what i eat if i ate a tablespoon of yak butter which has 800 calories in it or if i drank a diet soda what would happen if you ask 100 people in the middle of America the following question, will I gain more weight if I ate a tablespoon of yak butter or drank a soda? Unanimously, they would say yak butter. But they're wrong. Your body has no idea what the hell to do with the soda, so this floats through your body and it stores as inflammation, which is a very important word that needs to be understood correctly. <laughs> that's, a, that's a quote. That's not a, I haven't made that up. That's not me trolling you. That's a genuine quote. I think we should like, read out bits of this. Men and women are very different. Men go through one hormonal hormonal change in life. Women go through at least four. However, we both have over 600 muscles in our body, and the brain's connection to firing those muscles is the same. If you walk out on ice, both of our brains recalibrate and help us. The amount of work that I have done carving out the relationship between the brain and the muscles is incredibly beneficial to men as well as women and kids as well as teens. Let me tell you, there is not a woman that you can put in front of me that I can't make every dream come true for her on her body if she gives me her time and trust. I've taken this approach and I've developed the same mentality for men. What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? I think she needs to spend more time carving out the relationship between her brain and some information, <laughs> some, some facts. Maybe she's trying to read something. Yeah. Oh, God. Men, I, I, just... men want to be panthers. They look to be machines that function... <laughs> Right now, it's all about being skinny ripped. You want to look good in a tailor suit. It's important for men not to overdevelop. <laughs> yes, yeah, so is that is that going to tie in with the Sex Panther color? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sex Panther for men who don't even lift. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, it's just, I mean, the best bit for me was just, you know, I sat down and I thought, okay, a tablespoon of yak butter has 800 calories in it, apparently. Now, if we just do the math or 
or the maths if you're in the UK, um, that works out about 88 grams of fat. Okay. Now, I just, <laughs> that's, a, that's a fucking huge it's table. A fucking wooden spoon, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think that's the problem. Uh, is, <laughs> this is why she's having some serious issues just eating gigantic ladles full of yak butter. Tracy ain't got no hips either. She done, she no. done goofed. I think she needs to drink a diet soda to try and store some inflammation there. Um, I think she yeah. eat some fucking yak butter. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, just a total train wreck of an individual, uh, really. <laughs> uh, have you been uh, aware of this woman's work for quite some time? or? Uh, unfortunately, I've sort of been peripherally aware of her um, as a source of ridicule um, for a while. But, you know, I didn't think... You know, I thought it was sort of a female only thing. You know, I didn't I didn't think for a minute that you would actually get guys kind of buying into this idea that, you know, getting too big is kind of bad. For you. I mean, I can see how from a marketing perspective, this is kind of clever because, you know, if, if guys feel under pressure to look a certain way because they've got superhero films showing the lead characters looking big and ripped. Maybe this is just a really clever way of tying into, you know providing a sort of alternative to that. I don't I don't know, but it just it's just absolutely mad how this is and you know, this is a real thing. This isn't like a joke. This isn't satire. This is an actual person training people, making millions out of this. Um she trained Gwyneth Paltrow, I think. I think that was where she sort of got her uh big exposure from. But uh yeah, she's been around for a while. Oh Tracy. I was having a little look at her uh, website. Just, yeah, nor- normal sort of stuff you'd see from, like, um, 60 Second Abs or whatever the hell. Yeah, just, yeah it's just... Yeah. Ab-centric, hip-centric, glute-centric, omni-centric. <laughs> Do you have an omni-centric body? Omni-centric. If you gain weight all over, then you're omni-centric. This body type sometimes makes it difficult to choose one specific area to focus on. So the workouts Tracy designed for the omnicentric body are perfect. A full body skin tuck. Anything that is strippy or loose about your body will be awakened, firmed, and lifted. <laughs> That's about the only lifting you'll be yeah. doing with the programs. Glute-centric, a.k.a. dadass. <laughs> if you have a shapeless behind and it is your main area of concern, then the glute-centric workouts would help you to create the butt you want. Whether it is too flat or needs a lift, this program is geared to tone down any back fat, get rid of cellulite to gain a distinction between your lifted butt and thighs. Yeah, tool dribble. Yeah, because you can get rid of cellulite, can't you? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, something. Um, everyone can do it. Abcentric. If you tend to gain weight in your midsection or have a thick waist, you're abcentric. The abcentric workouts are targeted to achieve a flat stomach with workouts concentrated on the lower stomach and back area. That there spot reduction. Mm. <laughs> the holy grail. Oh, yeah. Uh, good stuff. Yep. Nice. nice. So, yeah. Um, so, there's a name to avoid. Trace Anderson. Uh, okay, so next one's your uh, polyunsaturated membrane study. You want to take a little walk through this? Hello? Ben? Did you just drop out? Yeah, I think I think I dropped out there. Ben, please. Uh, I'm so sorry. It's, it's Tracy Anderson's <laughs> fault. <laughs> she took all my bandwidth. Fuck's sake. Um, yeah, so this study is called Life and Death, Metabolic Rate, Membrane Composition, and Lifespan of Animals. Um, and basically, this article is trying to link together some ideas. Um, specifically, it's talking about how fatty acid composition varies in, in cell membranes, varies between species, which wasn't something we fully understood um, before. And the idea is to link that with um, a couple of facts, and I'll just read from the abstract here. Um, the products of lipid peroxidation are powerful reactive molecular species, and fatty acids differ dramatically in their susceptibility to peroxidation. Uh, membrane fatty acid composition provides a mechanistic explanation of the variation in maximal lifespan among animal species. So the idea here is that uh, depending on your membrane composition, so the fatty acid composition of your cell membranes, um, you will be able to explain 
um, the lifespan of uh, of an animal. Um, so the idea, if you you know, if you go through the full text, there's an awful lot of detail here talking about oxidative stress, reactive oxygen species, free radical production, the mitochondria, and so on. But you can summarize it quite quite easily, and it's that polyunsaturated fats are. Um, have a higher peroxidation in, index, so they're more susceptible to lipid peroxidation, in particular omega-3 fatty acids, uh, having the highest peroxidation index. And the greater the degree of polyunsaturation in the cell membrane, the greater the oxidative stress on the cell. Um, so the implication is that low membrane polyunsaturation is good, high membrane polyunsaturation is bad. And that ties in, if you're familiar with the work of Ray Peets, and his articles, then you, that will tie into basically what he's been putting forward for a number of years. Um, so it kind of throws a bit of a spanner in the works when people talk about things like supplementing with fish oil for the for the sake of um, improving cell membrane composition. Because if you read this article and if you believe the conclusions are correct, then that would be precisely the wrong thing to do if you were looking to live a long time. So it's a very interesting perspective, and it ties together very neatly a lot of different ideas that have been around for a while. Is there, um, just on that fish oil um, thing, surely that's genetically determined to make up, like the cells genetically determined to make up of their fatty acid content in the membrane? Yeah, so so that's an interesting thing. And, I mean, the idea is... It's just when people talk, you know, when people tout fish oil supplements, they, they talk about membrane composition um, as one of the things, you know, as one of the reasons why you should supplement. So, um, is, is whether there anything not, to suggest, though, that your nutritional intake can influence really, make up your cell membrane? That sounds I really serious. don't think, no, I think, I, I don't think there's any, I mean, I, to be honest, my understanding of the logic is that I think what they, they argue that, well, you know, cells regenerate over, you know, over time. And so, you know, your tissues are composed of cells which are constantly being replenished. And so if you ingest uh, more uh, omega-3 fatty acids, then the likelihood is more of them will get used to construct cell membranes. But I don't think I think that's literally the line of argument. I mean, that's me trying to synthesize it. I, I don't know for sure if that's what um people actually think. But I, I believe when I've seen guys like John Kiefer talking about this stuff, that's kind of the logic they're using. Um, I think I can pull up one of his articles, actually, where he talked about this and, and see if that was what he was saying. But, yeah, it's it's pretty tenuous. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm fairly sure that's not how the body works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't worry, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's just kind of, even if it was true, in other words, it's kind of... Yeah, if it was it'd be pointless. yeah. <laughs> Because you'd be um, making yourself more prone to premature death, which is always a good thing. Yeah. Um, I just find some of the like, people are probably um, well aware of this, but just some of the stuff inside the study, um, putting like mass of animals, um, correlating that with like uh, lesser lifespans, or was it a lot as higher lifespans, one that higher mass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and was it lower metabolic rates at higher? lifespans is that right yeah basically low mass specific metabolic rate uh implies long maximum lifespan uh, because of the lower oxidative stress associated with the lower membrane polyunsaturation so what what was the was there any um kind of discussion on the association between um, the size of the animal and i think that was purely correlation actually I i think that's just based on studies on on the cell membrane makeup of animal species i don't think it was um it's quite interesting because if you look at um a human certainly being a larger human is would probably be a risk factor of premature death yeah yeah exactly <laughs> which we've seen before which, um, but, but that would uh, imply also that you'd have higher food intake which might imply higher metabolic rates so maybe there's yeah some kind of interplay there yeah, it's interesting because what I find, well, what I find particularly interesting about this is having read a lot of Ray Pete stuff. Um, he doesn't actually believe in the existence of cell membranes, okay? And there's an alternative model of the cell by a guy called Gilbert Ling, which um, doesn't have a cell membrane. It's basically um, water and uh, it's kind of a multi-layer of water um, and protein sitting underneath. 
and the way that you think of the whole the way the cell operates in that context is that um the cell skeleton would be affected by these um, lipid the effects of lipid peroxidation and so you'd kind of have effects on the proteins themselves which would then um which would then create the illusion of having fluidity fluidity in the cell membrane um as a result of damage to the actual cell because of um uh, oxidative stress. Uh, uh, things like sodium channels and like. Uh... Well, yeah, I mean, he argues they basically argue that they don't exist. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting. interesting. Oh, yeah, and the, I mean, it, it is a fully worked out theory in the sense that you can't explain why there appear to be sodium channels, but you can basically have a model where you don't need sodium pumps. Um, for it to work so it doesn't fully explain why the sort of standard model of cells should be wrong but it does provide an alternative model which kind of works so it's a really interesting so it's like the idea biological right? version of string theory yeah 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 exactly probably well i don't know how you, yeah i don't know how you test it actually um good point so yeah maybe it is like string theory in that sense um and my, my girlfriend would be a very interesting person to get in this debate um, so she works in like immunology, probably has a yeah a much better um, understanding of this than I do. So I'm just oh, a certainly l- lovely sports science graduate. So yeah, she'll have a better understanding than me as well. I mean, I just sort of read this stuff out of interest. But uh, yeah, be maybe she could be the first guest on <laughs> if we can't can. get a hold of can't get hold of Yeah. <laughs> 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 I think on the podcast, yeah, that'd be good. Um, yeah, I, I can't really make any kind of meaningful debate or discussion on this because I've not really got much of a background. Uh, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. I wasn't really aware of that. Was that that kind of um, electrolyzed water thing you posted up like maybe two, three days ago? Or was that? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of, It's. I mean, that's sort of a little bit on the pseudoscience end of things. I mean, it's kind of that idea that basically you've got kind of a multi-layer of kind of charged water um molecules and then sitting underneath is like a protein and then the cell structure itself comes about from that not not from you don't have like a cell membrane and and you don't have like um you don't have like glucose transporters as such it's just like the protein itself kind of unfolds a little bit and you've got you know glucose binding sites on the protein so it kind of it's it's a really difficult thing to understand because like you try and think about how insulin works in that context and it's like it's really it's really alien because suddenly you've got to try and picture how insulin would function without a cell membrane and it just I, I mean I don't fully understand it to be honest with you so yeah. um, I, I'm just the, even just the thought of like not having a membrane myself as a yeah. <laughs> as an entity is. Uh, Somewhat disconcerting. Um, yeah, <laughs> I feel a little bit weird thinking about it. Um, yeah, it sounds fairly interesting. Maybe a topic for another, yeah, another definitely. time when maybe I've done a little bit more reading on it and maybe have more of an a an understanding of it. Yeah, absolutely. I'll send you some stuff on it. It's really interesting. Yeah, um, so moving on, then um, we've got an article on uh, was well, from the journal of the american heart association and, and it's about how watching too much tv may increase risk of early death in adults yeah so you sent me this one actually and uh, it looks pretty interesting yeah <laughs> uh, this is another one i haven't read um <laughs> okay well, well we just like go like skim it um adults who watch tv three hours or more a day may double the risk of premature death from any cause researchers suggest Adults should consider getting regular exercise, avoiding long sedentary periods, and reducing TV viewing to one to two hours a day. So it's basically inferring that larger um, time spent watching TV is less time spent doing exercise. Uh, yeah. Am I correct? That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And to be honest with you, who spends three hours or more a day watching TV? I <laughs> can't even. Uh, I've spent <laughs> eight hours today on the internet. Yeah, well, that's different. Watching a Game of Thrones box set or whatever, that's slightly different to like making a habit out of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so like exercise and less makes you more prone to heart disease. 
Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what, kinds of, what kinds of knowledge gains today? Well, that, that was certainly worthwhile including. Uh, maybe yeah. just have a little look. Uh, researchers assessed 13,284 young and healthy Spanish university graduates, average age 37, 60% women, to determine the association between three types of sedentary behavior and risk of death from all causes, television, viewing time, computer time, and driving time. The participants were followed for a medium of 8.2 years. Research reported 97 deaths and 19 cases of cardiovascular disease, 46 for cancer, and 32 from our causes. The risk of death was two-fold higher for participants who reported watching three hours or more of TV compared to those watching one or less hours. So it'd be interesting to see if they found that with um, the computer use and stuff as well. So higher risk was yeah. also apparent for cutting for a wide range of Research fund. Researchers found no significant association between the time spent using a computer or driving and higher risk of premature death from all causes. Hmm. Interesting. Um, but saying there's only 97 deaths and three variables, it could just be through um, just random attribution that 90 or 50 of those people happen to be in the TV group or or whatever. That's, yeah. It's probably not probably not a meaningful pre- study. Pretty unfortunate yeah. if you spent like most most of the day indoors watching TV, you know, <laughs> and you managed to die. You know, maybe the one time you left the house. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's um, yeah. This is why you look at reviews because <laughs> <laughs> single studies are mostly a waste of time. Um, okay, uh, the calorie counter. This one's quite cool, actually. Uh, and yeah. uh, did you see? Did you see this? Yeah, I've seen a few things like this. I have you. This, this is my first one. Yeah. Um, my first time coming across something like this. It's basically it was published in the the Daily Mail or the Daily Fail. Um, <laughs> in the microwave that counts calories all in caps <laughs> and there's a little video that was quite cool it basically um, they determine between water content fat content and then just assume everything else is um, four kilocalories from what, I, what I'm just um, inferring um, due to the sugar and protein yeah. having a four calorie content um, yeah. so if it's not water and it's not fat then they just assume it's four calories and they, they show in the video them mixing up a solution of oil, water, and uh, sugar solution, and it correctly guesses the the calorie content by working out the fat and the water. Um, it doesn't actually go into how it works, but it's quite um, quite an interesting uh, little gadget. Have you kind of got a look at the video, or have you... Um, I just read through the article, and, and one thing I find particularly amusing here is this is this section of the article where it says... Uh, Mr. Webster explained that the machine doesn't need to know the combination of proteins, carbohydrates and sugars as the equation takes care of it, although did not reveal how. So strong understanding of basic arithmetic <laughs> from the Daily Mail there. Um, I mean, just just to let you know how that equation works, what you do is you substitute nine times the number of fat grams from the total number of calories and then divide by four to get <laughs> the total amount of protein and carbs. Yeah, pre- pretty simple. Pretty, pretty simple. Uh, yeah. So I know in here there's water, which is uh, inert calorie-wise. I know there's oil, which is nine <laughs> kilocalories per gram, yeah. and the rest is all I assume protein. And yeah, thingy. I mean you can you can certainly get into stuff like oh well you know what about the thermic effect of food and protein will be slightly less than four kilocalories. But the thing is, at least this device would give you an upper bound on the calories in the meal, which is the whole point of getting a calorie estimate. Yeah. So if it does yeah. work, I mean, it'd be pretty be pretty good, I think. Yeah, uh, I awesome, do, I, I yeah, just don't know whether or not... Because I've seen stuff like this marketed before. Like, for instance, there was a, a wristband that claimed to be able to count the amount of like cell glucose, like the, the amount of glucose you had in your, all of your cells no, and tell yeah. you... Yes. Yeah. Some people actually thought it was. And I was just like, I just did some back of the envelope com- computations on like how many cells are on the human body, how many you'd have to scan, you know, how much data you would have. And like, it just, there's no way you could actually work out. You could, there's no way you could actually get an accurate reading <laughs> unless you would, do, unless there was some like incredibly advanced sampling algorithm to actually get an estimate. And even then, you'd have so much data in real time that like a risk-based device, I just don't think could handle it. But this, this looks kind of 
feasible. 100 trillion cells, that's a lot of zeros. Yeah, so even if you took one bit uh, for each cell, how many, um, uh, do you know how many terabytes you've got? <laughs> how many um, zeros are in a hundred trillion? I'm struggling here. One, two, three. Uh, a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm not bothered doing that calculation, but several, several terabytes. I'm, well, it's like eleven, isn't it? Eleven zeros. Alright, we'll call. It oh, sorry, that's a billion. Uh, so yeah, so. Yeah, it's more. It's a lot more than that. It's fourteen. Right, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. <laughs> um, so we're saying one bit. So yeah. that's. I did this calculation somewhere. Twenty-four yeah. for kilobytes. That's thousand twenty-four for megabyte. That's a thousand twenty-four for gigabyte. It would be ninety-three thousand gigabytes of data. So we'll we'll do yeah. that for terabytes. Yeah, 90 terabytes of data. Yeah, so 90 terabytes of data per per scan, right? That's that's just one. Like, even if you could store the relevant information as one single bit, that's in real time, you have to take that scan, do something with it, and, and I mean, it, you would have to have, like I said, some incredibly advanced sampling algorithm to be able to to make that work. And I just don't see how it could operate in real time. It's, it's, and someone was arguing with me that it could be possible. I was like, look, I, to, I, know, I know how sampling algorithms work. I still don't think this is going to be in the realm of possibility. Maybe they have uh, 30 solid-state, um, 3 terabyte drives connected in <laughs> yeah. a SATA array within that small little band. Yeah, and, that, and that's how it actually promotes weight loss, is the, the actual device is so fucking heavy. <laughs> <laughs> it actually weighs more than a fucking server. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. But yeah, this. Uh, oh, by the way, cracking comment here. The Daily Mail readers doing everyone proud. God bless. God bless the United Kingdom. That's it, man. Um, two reasons not to buy, says Black Widow six 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 from Hertfordshire. One, ready-made meals already has the calories printed <laughs> on it. Two, homemade microwave food just doesn't taste the same as oven cooked or half cooked. So strong understanding there of the article content, <laughs> where it, where it actually says that it doesn't cook the food. This is not a microwave. Yeah, UK. Seriously, do fat people struggle this much? I will never understand what is the, what the issue is. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wonder what the issue is. Yeah, what could it be? <laughs> The thinker, nutritional value after microblasting, that's easy, 30%. What? Yeah. Oh, here's a, here's a good tip from Daily Mail reader Quinsman from London. Good grief. When did food become so difficult? Here's a tip. If you are fat and getting fatter, then you are probably consuming too much. If you are pale and skeletal, then you probably need to eat a little more. That's one of the best rated comments there. Stunning insight from Quinsman. That's it. Thanks, you've just solved the world obesity crisis right well there. Done, Brilliant. Thanks. <laughs> give that man, give that man a Nobel Prize. Yeah, but some really small meals can contain way more calories than big meals of other foods, so it's kind of hard to 100% guess. Yeah, right. I mean, I find it difficult to guess whether you know a giant double cheeseburger has more calories than you know a small cup of salad, but that's just me. I I find it difficult yeah. to it, to guess. Quite I also like how like the lowest rated comments also at the top. That's chronological order. <laughs> yeah. YouTube started the Daily Mail, nothing. New, nutritional value after microblasting. That's yeah, easy. Thirty percent. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> microblasting. Yeah, because microbes do that, don't they? They actually destroy micronutrients, don't they? They actually course, do that. Yeah. That's a thing. So it works. That's a thing. <laughs> totally a thing. It doesn't yeah. just increase the thermic energy of the food and heats it up. Nope. No. No, or, or make possibly some of the micronutrients more bioavailable <laughs> due to cooking. Nope. <laughs> just denurtures all the proteins, the protons. The protons. <laughs> denurtures them all via heat. So no longer can body use paleo lulls. <laughs> okay, that's, uh, that was a good yeah. one. I like that. Uh, maybe we should just maybe we should just turn this podcast into reading out comments from the Daily Mail. Probably very good. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. So, so um, witty matters, active kids. Yeah. So witty matters, by the way, is a really really good uh, 
blog. It's by Yoni Friedhoff, who's a um, fantastic guy. He's basically, um, well, he's a doctor and assistant professor at the University of Ottawa, um, author, and he, he talks a lot about weight management based on evidence. Um, and if you can follow him or, or check out some of his articles, it's, you're going to get more sense than reading the Daily Mail. <laughs> um, so he posted... Um, an article, uh, the title is Nine Weekly Hours of Vigorous Exercise Didn't Help These Kids Outrun Their Forks. So the, the punchline of this article is that there was a small study from Portugal involving preteen boys with overweight or obesity who were assigned to participate in a structured five-month soccer program. Um, so they punished the kids by putting them in a five-month soccer program. Um, anyway, it was, it was fairly intense, and they were doing four weekly 60-90 minute sessions and the boys' heart rates were going up over 80% of their uh, max HR. So uh, in addition to the four to six hours of soccer, they were also doing one and a half to three hours of regular physical exercise at school. So they were doing between five and a half and nine hours of weekly exercise. Um, most of that was over 80% of their max HR. So this was a lot of exercise. And um, what this study found, disappointingly, was that there were no significant changes in BMI or percentage of body fat. And that was done with a DEXA scan. So it was actually very accurate. Um, and the kids felt better about themselves, but there was no change in body composition. So basically, this article is saying um, you can't just, well, you can't just outwork a bad diet, essentially, which is kind of popular saying uh, in fitness anyway. But, um, but yeah, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. There was only 12 children in the study. Yeah. Yeah, that's the main weakness of that study. I mean, you, you need hundreds, I guess, if, if not more, to, to really make a meaningful statement. But I think it's interesting anyway. Yeah, no, and they, they touched on the point that would be the weakness of the study where they didn't um, control for calorie consumption or anything like that. So, which you've already touched on. So, yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, I think, I think that's, um, maybe a common misconception, isn't it? That, you know, if you just go and do more activity, you kind of dieting isn't really a concern, but if you just get on the treadmill, go, go for a run, you can somehow magically lose fat without controlling your nutrition at all, which, no. uh, there might be going out of the limb here, but increased energy expenditure might increase your energy requirements. <laughs> which yeah. might have the effect of making you hungrier. Yeah. Hmm. So if I was to train <laughs> four to five hours a day, I might be hungry all the time. So that's where intermittent fasting comes Ah, from. see? <laughs> so, so you just don't eat. <laughs> and uh, the problem solved. Yeah. Um, yeah, fairly interesting, I think. I think that's where... Um, I I would always say to people, um, if you wanted to like lose weight or get in shape and you weren't too fussed about being fit, you're better off just dieting and lifting weights and not really doing anything else. Because it's kind of the it's the way I always find it the easiest to kind of control hunger stuff was just to do weight training because that would have the effect that most people were after, which is like increased muscle mass where they want it, whatever else. Um, and you just get leaner via dietary control, which is uh, at the end of the day is the the one thing that you really need to control for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, I think there is there's a good element to this, which is that if you know if you are going to be overweight and you are active, that's much better than being sedentary. I mean, um, there, there's certainly certainly no health benefits to being sedentary whether or not you're overweight so i think that's another problem where people who are kind of in the normal bmi ranges are inactive and and consider themselves healthy just because they aren't overweight but that's not that's not really true either you don't get any of the cardiovascular benefits of um exercise you could be a smoker and a drinker and a yeah, heroin addict <laughs> which yeah. might make you more susceptible to premature death possibly yeah it might make you more susceptible to uh becoming a popular stand-up comedian and film actor in the states <laughs> with with some weird political views you might get to do an interview yeah. with jeremy paxton I see what you there i fucking hate yeah. that guy yeah he's an awful tosser he's isn't he? an awful tosser i think we'll refrain anyone from saying his name i'm not gonna say his name no you shall not be named 
so um yeah. that's that segues nicely onto the article you sent me which was lack of exercise not diet linked to rise in obesity stanford research shows yeah thanks um thanks stanford uh, <laughs> yeah so basically this is a review of studies um or surveys um from 1995 through to 2010 uh, the research considered survey results from 17,430 participants approximately 5,000 participants each year. Survey participants recorded the frequency, duration, and intensity of their exercise within the previous month. The team defined ideal exercise as no more than 150 minutes a week of moderate exercise or more than 75 minutes a week of vigorous exercise. And basically, there's a little blurb at the end that says um, it's a correlational study, so there's no like cause and effect. The percentage of women reporting no physical activity jumped from 19% to 52% between 1998 and 2010. The percentage of inactive men rose from 11% to 43%. In the same period, obesity also increased, climbing from 25 to 35% in women, from 20 and from 20 to 35% in men. Surprisingly, however, the number of calories consumed per day did not change significantly. Nonetheless, diet remains a proven and important component of health, and participants may have been tempted to underreport how much they ate. Um, and the notorious difficulty with um, like any kind of nutritional study relying on diet um, reporting as people always almost systemically underreport what they eat. Both obesity that that was me, not the, the thing. Both obesity and abdominal girth, which the team analyzed independently, contribute to a variety of well documented conditions such as cancer, cardiovascular cardiovascular disease as well as increased morality and being a forever alone virgin. In 2020, <laughs> 61% of women and 42% of men had too many, had too much belly fat, up from 46% and 29% in 1998. In addition, the waist of even normal weight women swelled between 1998 and 2010, the study showed. I'm quite disappointed they used the word swelled. Swole. 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 Whoever this boy's name is noted that the study did not follow one group of participants over 22-year span. Instead, the data came from different samples in each survey cycle, but the samples are constructed to be representative of the population. Um, yeah, so quite interesting. Yeah, I, do, I mean, like, like they say, it's you can't really address any causal link because of the nature of the study, but I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that there is a causal link. I think it's just it's a multifactorial problem, and it's not that people are necessarily um, becoming less active, so they're getting fatter, or that they're eating more and they're getting fatter. I think it's just all of those things are tied in together. It's it's uh, it's quite a complex issue, really. Very complex issue. I, I do that as a quite an, um, provided that that is um, accurate. That yeah. people went from no physical activity went from ninety percent to fifty two percent in the last twenty two years. That's um quite alarming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I mean it doesn't surprise me though, that figure. Um I think I think that's certainly a cultural thing and I'm sure that that will, you know, vary between different countries, but we all seem to be suffering from the same uh, obesity crisis around the world so it's clearly not just isolated to you know US culture or UK culture um, 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 maybe it's because Arnold Schwarzenegger is not a big superstar anymore <laughs> yeah like, actually 1988 what film came out then? yeah let's see <laughs> um, Arnold Schwarzenegger biography <laughs> filmography hang on a minute how Predator came out in 1987 right yeah and so 1988, sorry, through 2010, there was that decline. And, yeah, so we had Total Recall 1990. Uh, trying to find one from 2010. This is... 1988, uh, Red Heat, Twins. Oh, Red Heat, yeah, gosh, yeah. Twins, 1998, maybe that's what started the yeah. decline. Yeah. And then 2010, you've got The Expendables. So surely it should have picked up from then. Uh, well, maybe if they, if they went from 2010 onwards, it would have seen an increase in... Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, where, that's where, where they fucked up. 
Expendables 2 in 2012, The Last Stand in 2013. Have I seen that? There's, so, there's loads of um, Arnold Schwarzenegger films I haven't watched there. I watched about 10 minutes of The Last Stand, and I have watched Escape Plan. Uh, I could, I didn't really bother watching The Last Stand for some reason. I, I couldn't couldn't force myself to do it. He's got on a mini gun at the front, and there's some doing like a pilot mask. <laughs> yeah. Or Johnny Knoxville's in the pilot match. Johnny Knoxville, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll give that a miss, I think. <laughs> Better known as some dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll probably give that a miss. Um, anything meaningful <laughs> to say in the study, other than it's not, it doesn't really say much to the multifactorial problem, nature of the problem? I don't know. Obesity going to obese, I yeah. guess. Uh, fat is going to fat. <laughs> yeah. um, so, speaking of which, you had another interesting one there, which was obesity risk is stronger among siblings, apparently. Yeah. Um, so basically, the study was um, done by an investigator at the Monan Institute for Health Policy, uh, Harvard-affiliated Massachusetts General Hospital. Um, it's well known that diet and physical activity are key determinants of obesity among both adults and children, and prior research has shown that parents have a direct impact on children's eating habits through shopping and preparing meals, and on their exercise by encouraging and facilitating access and activities. I went into the study expecting that given parents' oversized rules in children's lives, parental obesity would have a stronger association with a sibling's obesity, but I was wrong. The paper described a sub-study of the larger Family Health Habits Survey, a nationwide survey of patients that investigate associations between the health of family members and factors such as food purchases and nutrient intake. Of the more than 10,000 participants in the larger survey, almost 2,000 respondents represented families with either one or two children and provided height and weight information for parents of children. Are they trying to work out BMI? Making them eligible <laughs> for the current study. Um, in families with only one child and an obese parent, more than doubled the risk of the child's obesity, although that re- risk was reduced if the high levels of physical activity reported for the child. In two child families, having an Obese sibling was associated with a risk that was more than five times greater than if the sibling was, was not obese. While the impact of parental obesity on an older sibling was the same as an only child, approximately twice the risk among younger siblings, there was no association with parental obesity. Um, in addition, if the two-child family uh, were of the same gender, the older sibling's obesity had an even stronger association with the obesity in the younger sibling. 8.6 times greater for girls and 11.4 times greater for boys. Blah, 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 yakety, yakety. Um, so, yeah, that's quite the increase in risk, like kind of risk five times for a sibling and up to 11 times yeah. if it's a male sibling. That's a fatty, fatty, really bully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, a beast. Of course. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I'm not, not quite sure what to make of what this is really telling us, actually. Um, fat is going to fat. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's certainly the main conclusion, I suppose. But, um, yeah, it's interesting what they said about, you know, younger children looking up to their big brother or sister for behavioural cues. I guess, I guess that kind of, you, you could certainly make that interpretation. Um, whether or not that's why we're seeing this phenomenon, I'm not sure. Yeah, um, it's fairly interesting. I would have thought that parents, just from not looking at any data or anything, just um, would have a larger influence due to the fact that they control what their children actually eat in some cases and the exercise they do to some extent having cooked for them and bought for them and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I wonder what kind of dynamics there are, like, um, you know, because they said, <clears throat> pardon me, that the um, physical activity was a huge component of this. So, I mean, what if, you know, your your older sibling isn't physically active, you know, not involved in sports, so your parents are less likely to be engaged, maybe in pushing you into doing extracurricular sport or activity. Maybe, I don't know, I think there's a lot of different things which are probably involved in this, and I don't know 
as, it, as long as no one says genetics, uh, I'll be happy. <laughs> it does say though that um, like the 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 parent risk was the same for two child families, yeah. although the having a elder sibling like rose that remarkably. I wonder if that's if um, the parent has one fat child that increases dramatically the likelihood that the next child is going to be fat due to or obese um, due to the that the like maybe they eat a lot of processed food or they don't they don't have a physically yeah, active yeah. household or maybe that's what increases the risk factor. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it kind of it could just be a really trivial observation. You know what I mean? Like it, it it's difficult to really pin down whether or not this is telling us something meaningful. You know, um, especially yeah. Just just don't mention genetics, anyone. Maybe maybe it's genetics. I mean, <laughs> well, I think um, obviously they'll just be looking at trends and the data that they have. So having. Um, two child family where one child's fat or obese, I should say obese. Um, surely that would make the likelihood that the next one's obese due to like you, you know you know what I'm saying. It was just a trick trick yeah. of the statistical modeling they used that came up with this rather than any kind of um, causative factors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it could just be like a kind of ghost in the machine, if you like. Um, yeah so um, moving on let's talk about some uh, attractive criminals yeah. that we've seen in the news um, so hot this guy yeah he's 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 pretty hard I'm so hard right now <laughs> yes yeah, so this is um, the hot mugshot guy Jeremy Meeks um, yeah so this was quite popular on Facebook uh, yeah really popular recently. I'm touching myself right now, Jeremy, just so you know. <laughs> Staring into your blue, blue eyes. <laughs> That's it, man. That's it. Yeah. Well, I saw quite a lot of different reactions to this. On the one hand, there were people sharing it saying, yeah, wow, this guy's really good looking. It's a shame he's a criminal and all that. On the other hand, I had people saying, yeah, this proves that all women are just fickle, you know, um, idiots who uh, don't care about moral character or anything like that. And then have people saying, you know, that he's not really that good looking. If you look at this picture of him here, he's, he doesn't look great. Like, you know, just some random picture. And it's like, well, I think anyone can look bad in, in, in pictures if you just get the wrong yeah, angle. Wrong angle yeah, light. The wrong light. Like maybe when and, you're in a court day in a orange yeah. <laughs> The fact is, the fact is, though he is—he he does look good-looking in that picture. He is a handsome guy, and the fact that he's a criminal for me doesn't really take away from that. No, um, criminals can be good-looking or ugly, I think, irrespective. Uh, yeah, and and I think the only thing this guy got wrong really was that he's gained celebrity after becoming a criminal, whereas most celebrities resort to a life of crime after gaining their fame. You know. Like uh, Winona Ryder shoplifting uh, a few years back, um, you know, or drug abuse. Uh, so yeah, I just I don't I don't really understand why this guy shouldn't get exposure or why it's kind of wrong to point out that he is handsome because yeah he might have done some pretty bad things but I don't really I don't really see why that should preclude him from getting recognition for being attractive. I don't. I don't know. I don't know quite what the. Should he be offered uh, modeling contracts though? Is that? Well, you know, I mean, should, what's the argument? He's he's been he's been in jail for what? Uh, was it violent robbery? Yeah. yeah. So okay. surely that'll keep him off the streets if nothing else. Yeah, I, he hasn't been um, convicted yet. He's was in court for a hearing. Again, yeah. reported by the Metro, another UK stalwart. Um, <laughs> Same same publisher as the Daily Mail, isn't is it? it? I think so. Yeah, might be wrong on that one. I but. could well believe that. They maybe they have a comment section. That that would be glorious. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, just about. Oh, they got two comments. Um, Sam Coons, this guy is a crook and a piece of filth and not hot at all. He needs to be behind oh. bars for ten years. Right. Right. Okay. Sean, never underestimate human stupidity. 
it will always find a way to shock you further. Yeah. Okay. Right, so so let me just work this hang on, let me just deconstruct this logic. So the guy is a criminal. Um so he needs to be behind bars. Yep, great. But the not hot at all thing, I think there are thousands of women disagree with you on that one, Sam. Yeah, so maybe 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 he's just mad. <laughs> he mad. Maybe he's just mad, yeah. I think he's mad. Oh, oh the photoshops as well. Great use of people's yeah. time. And yeah, I think yeah, I think the internet has definitely delivered with this one. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think I, I just having, you know, my dad worked in the probation service um, for years and it was, you know, it's quite hard to actually get people who've been in jail a, a decent job. Um, you've got to prepare them for interviews. You've got to make sure they've got skills. And, and if this guy gets a modeling contract and maybe isn't resorting to violent crime, to make ends meet, then surely that's a big win for society, not, you know, not something to be um, angry about. I mean, or is that just me? That's the slowest form of death. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's right, Jeremy Meeks. You, you wish you wish you'd stayed on the straight and narrow now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The straight and narrow of modelling and stuff. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the the law-abiding, God-fearing people of Great Britain will be sitting at home eating yak butter, which is saturated, and, <laughs> and reaping the benefits of that. Indeed. Whilst the, those fools drinking the, the um, sodas, body getting oh. infested with inflammation. I mean, I don't know where... I don't know how people have room to store all this inflammation. I don't know where it's going. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. You know, a can of Diet Coke, that's, what, 330 millilitres? And that's literally being stored somewhere on your body every time you drink it. That entire can of Coke. 330 millilitres of inflammations. Is... <laughs> just, you're just confusing your body, man. It doesn't really know what it's doing with it. Doesn't got a clue. Yeah. yeah it's somewhat of a slow fortnight, then. <laughs> yeah, really. pretty, pretty slow. I mean... Wouldn't blame anyone for not tuning into this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Desper- desperately need someone to come on the show so we can interview them. Yeah, someone uh, volunteer yourself for an interview. Please, Elliot Hulse, please. <laughs> Elliot Hulse, please. I mean, we did get some comments. Oh, yeah, so we did. We got, we got some comments, right? So Yeah, shit. We could actually look at that. I mean... Um, do you have any shout-outs you'd like to give out before we start getting on the comments? Um, let me think. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Good. I'm good too. I don't really have not nothing crazy happening in my world that um, requires a shout-out. Um, yeah, not really. Um, yeah, a shout-out for um podcast by a guy called Dan Carlin. Um, he does two podcasts, uh, one called Hardcore History, where he um, just like kind of puts a narrative behind various things he's done, uh, the fall of the Roman Republic, um, Genghis Khan. He's doing World War One at the minute, um, which he's entitled. I can't fucking remember. Um, but yeah, the guys uh, Dan Carlin, Harco History is one, and he does um, Dan Carlin Common Sense, which is a political podcast where he just kind of discusses current issues and. A lot of it tends to be American centric, but it's extremely interesting, extremely interesting stuff. And the, the guy's got a lot of like kind of original views, and, and he's very intelligent. His um, narrative is very good as well. So if you haven't come across Dan Carlin, go check him out because he's awesome. Nice. Uh, well, yeah, we let's have a look at these comments. Um, oh yeah, we got we got a question, didn't we? Got a question. Oh, yes. better, better, better answer that, or nice. we might lose another listener. Well, we'll maybe do that at the end of the comments. Um, yeah. Jimmy Burgess, I did in fact mean AIDS, yes. <laughs> Good old AIDS. Um, Harrison is now the number one fan. Yousef's the number two fan. Fuck you, Yousef. Um, my time has come. I don't like you. He doesn't even listen. He's got more important things to do, like not listen. Um, <laughs> morph. that's it man that's it, nor 10 out of 10 monohydrate fuel podcast I feel this one may be a 3 out of 10 
<laughs> elbows two point day. Um, you should get some local upcoming athletes or people from the fitness community as guests once in a while. That would be pretty sweet. Even if they are not big time stars, here, but they do talk about training, etc., etc. Great idea. Sure, we can get that up for next time. Jimmy Prongus, Elliot Hulse. Good old, uh, good old Elliot. What a man. Um, Jesus, that video gave me type 3 brain hemorrhage. Any of this video, any of his videos are worse than the Jonathan Baylor quest one. And I'm pretty sure Baylor was wearing makeup and lipstick in that one. I've not, I've not seen that, thank God. Oh, well, yeah, um, yeah, I'll, that's not a video you want to watch. It's, uh, it's Tracy Anderson level. Fucking hell. But, maybe, maybe we just need to go full retard. Maybe that's how we're going to make our millions. Yeah, we need to find like that one weird trick for losing weight, kind of thing. Um, just make us hate us. Yeah, <laughs> they, I mean they probably do anyway. But yeah, they actually, <laughs> yeah, they actually hate us. Well, so people will have to listen to the podcast first before someone can hate us. <laughs> yeah. I'll uh, ask Elliot if he can do a video called "How to Brew Lean Hybrid Snake Oil." Maybe talk about some hilarious things Charles Falcon has said in the next podcast. Although I will take this. You can take more caffeine if you have blue eyes. Yeah, Charles Polquin is a gold mine of retardation. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, well, we should really tap in that sometime. Strength Sensei. Sweet. Uh, oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> do you reckon he's used Sinistol? Because his arms are in a really weird proportion. This yeah, he, he doesn't look healthy, does he, Charles Polquin? Um, he has very strange proportions with his chest and... His stomach and, uh, you know, distended gut going on there. He's uh, definitely seen the business end of a needle where that's for steroids or sinistol, <laughs> I don't know, but he, he's certainly been on the, 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 the gains rainbow. <laughs> um, so, uh, Jody Mullen, serious tags apply. What do you guys make of the new quantified self fitness trend with wearable bands and watches to do various fitness and life tracking features stuffed into all new smartphones? Do you think this stuff can actually be beneficial for strength athletes too, even though it's mostly cardio focused? Um, that that would have been a great main topic. That would have been a great main topic, but it's too late now. Uh, we <laughs> we've done the podcast. No, but, um, so I was going to say thanks thanks to the magic of uh, editing. This could in fact be the main topic, but let's just do it in one take. Let's hit it up. Yeah. So. Quantified self for me is a great idea if you kind of want to be really analytical about uh, weight loss. So, you know, tracking number of steps you've taken, how many minutes you've been doing certain activity, I guess even looking at calories and, and all that stuff. That's great. For strength athletes, um, I don't really see the use, although Mike Tashura with reactive training systems is kind of the closest you get to quantified self in the sense that um, his RPE system and the way he likes to quantify bar speed and measure bar speed um, and track kind of subjective, uh, you know, perceived exertion, kind of subjective difficulty, that's kind of quantified self in a way. Um, whether or not, you know, the actual apps and the, the wearable devices would benefit a strength training athlete, I, I kind of, that's where I, I, I think it would fall short. Um, but yeah, for, certainly for weight loss, it's it's great. But yeah, I don't know about strength athletes. Well, certainly for fitness training, it's very useful because you use things um, such as heart rate as a measure of recovery rate after exercise in the morning. Also for strength athletes, you can also, as long as you have a baseline of your rest and heart rate in the morning, you can maybe use it as a precursor for possibly for overtraining or if you're going into like over adaptation where your rest and heart rate is like above baseline a lot of the time and um, you could be pushing too hard as far as like bar speeds like tendo units and things like that that could be useful if you're doing a program where maybe you just lifted 80 percent of your max and over time through volume try to see how the bar speed changed and um, see if you can like, you're lifting that load faster and certainly a program i've been using recently where i've just been lifting 80 percent um, of target load and it's been working really well although I've not been using Nintendo units even though I have um, access to them I just lift heavier weights once in a while and set PBs and that works pretty well but it's certainly definitely a, a way to quantify a kind of static load program although they're not very um, common 
commonly used within strength programming. Um, could be used um, like for weight loss, certainly like Ben touched on, easily uh, usable for things like calorie tracking, pedometer, calorie expenditure. Um, as far as being useful, um, yes. Is it make or break? Probably not. Um, it's pro. I wouldn't say it was uh, user friendly enough at the minute that it would um, have a huge impact on any kind of practices I would do. Um, if you had things like if it tracked things that you really want to be tracking are like volume loads, intensities. And that's all um, done manually anyway via like keeping a journal or whatever, or programming. Uh, those are the those are the real factors for a strength athlete you really need to be looking at, um, which you should be doing anyway if you're doing your own programming. So it will probably wouldn't make much difference to your practice, other than in a kind of special case scenario where maybe your mitochondria are on an RPE-based system, and then over time you've um, kind of built up a relationship between a one to ten scale and bar speeds. Maybe you know when you the bar you get to this kind of velocity in a certain lift. You're gonna fail the lift for that person, and maybe you use that to, over time, develop a, a out of ten system. Um, maybe. Um, yeah, I think it's quite useful. I think it's quite a, an interesting topic for like kind of general fitness, but as far as like um, sports performance, I'm not entirely convinced. Except for for use for like modern recovery, it's definitely useful. Um, for tracking heart rates, but for um, track tracking adaptation, uh, maybe maybe not. If, for fitness training, if you want to stay in heart rate zones, there's obvious obvious applications there. Um, maybe if it gets more advanced, you can um, track like changes in like uh, enzyme proliferation, um, changes in red blood cell count, whatever. Like where you can maybe get more. Um, inf- informative changes in what's going on in your body. <clears throat> Maybe that's quite oh, yeah. part of the line, though. Yeah, I mean, looking at like individual growth factors and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, inflammation. Uh, you know, I don't know, oxidative stress. You could look at all sorts of health markers, I guess, and quantify them. I just, I think, I guess for most people, like if you're a beginner. The only thing you need to quantify is, you know, how much you're lifting and how many reps. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, are you putting more weight on the bar? Are you doing more reps for the same weight? Are you are you actually making progress in the gym? I think the other stuff is kind of going to bog you down unless you're an elite level lifter or an athlete where it kind of becomes more important. And even then for elite level athletes, it's more of a nice to have than a need to yeah. have. Uh, it, from that kind of perspective, if you're not engaging in the correct training modalities with the correct levels of intensity and the correct levels of frequency, um, then whatever you're doing in regards to recording your program doesn't really matter. If you have a shit program and no one's getting better, then all you're doing is recording how, how they're not getting better. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and that's the thing, isn't it? Quantified self doesn't apply if you have a team of coaches um, actually structuring your training, looking at your recovery assessing your performance so i guess yeah it's kind of difficult it, to say yeah it's, it's, sort of, it's sort of something i use quite a lot in my day-to-day existence like gps monitors we use um, heart rate monitors we're going to start to use and we use a lot we track pretty much everything the guys do in the gym we track the training loads um it's certainly a topic within kind of athlete welfare like quantifying training loads a huge thing um, so like when the guys go into pitch and do a do a team session, like we can use GPS to kind of quantify that, but that's after the fact, so we can't use it to like um, like in the gym the easy one where we say this load, this reps, this percentage of your RM, this is this out of ten on a difficulty scale. We do a lot of RPE stuff for the guys, so after a weight session, take RPEs, but everything's after the fact. So, in, in kind of my opinion, it's not really of a huge use. Um, we haven't really used the RE monitor stuff a lot, but um, so certainly something we're going to start looking into using, and where we can have monitors of like guys in session, how hard they're working, um, and like baselines of whether they recover and stuff like that. Um, but it, it, quite, it still still tends to be quite a lot of subjective markers, muscle soreness. 
um, post-exercise rate of exertion in the morning, rates of fatigue kind of marks out a 10, which is maybe not quite probably where Jody's coming from with the quantified self. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's certainly something that we do, or try to do quite a lot anyway in, um, in professional sport is use those kind of, these kind of markers. And some people really rate them up personally not um, a huge fan. I'd rather just kind of nail the prescription of training, make it effective and make it appropriate. I've not really found like you, you want to be in fatigue, you want to be recovering or else you're not really training. So, Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think the trouble is when you get caught up in the micro analysis of you know these these little details like how many steps did I take today? Does it matter if that went up or down by five? You know that that's the kind of thing which leads to paralysis and and it's it's not it's the general it's the broad strokes of the program um, and the diet and you know all of that that really leads to progress in the long term, not not the real you know kind of data mining of, of you know tracking everything you do. Definitely. Um... The the better you get your basics, the better you're gonna be, basically. That that's pretty much the be all and end all of health and fitness. Yeah. <laughs> the, the better your basics. Yeah, one the weird trick. Yeah, that's one weird <laughs> that, trick. That's the one weird trick. Personal trainers hate us. Doctors despise us. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that that's where the real kind of tricks come in, or the real um, ability to be successful is. How good you are at manipulating basic factors or implementing basic factors and training the planet. That's where that's where you get the real gains from. Um, yeah, it's quite a, quite a long spiel. Uh, yeah, so that's it for the comments. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add, Ben? Or? No, I think that was good. Yeah, maybe yeah, I'm a, pleased with that. A decent um, addition to. One of the poorer episodes. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I don't know. I, I think. Ah, I, th- I think I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> good. You done? You, sh- you shot yeah. your load? Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. I, th- I think. I think we're done. I think we're done. That's it, man. That's it. We're done here. Um, I've been Mark. And I've been Ben. You've been listening to episode six of the Health Fitness Success Podcast. This is Mark and Ben, signing out.